Our New Testament reading is from James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain and the earth yielded its harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, suppose one of you has a friend And you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. For everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Good morning, everyone. It is so good to be here with all of you in the space worshiping our Lord and um, hearing the scriptures read to us today. Um, What a precious gift they are. Um, For those of you who I have not yet had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Eric. I work here at uh, Resurrection in Youth Ministry, and I'm also a recent graduate from seminary. So um, it's just a pleasure to be invited to be here and meditate on God's word with each of you. Um, This morning, the scripture that we were given was uh, from James 5, 13 through 18. We also have the uh, gospel, uh, but I chose to focus in on just one of the scripture readings so I wouldn't turn this into like an hour-long sermon. (laughs) Um, And as I was looking through this uh, scripture, I noticed that there were three movements, these three broad movements going on within James's text. The first one is he shows us when to pray. He gives us a bunch of instances when we are to go before the throne of God 
and lifts needs and our hearts up before him. Second, he teaches us about the communal nature of prayer. And finally, he encourages us by giving us some examples of the power of prayer. First, a word about like how God is at work within prayer. And secondly, he teaches us through the example of Elijah, this prophet whose prayer works so powerfully. So I invite you to just spend these next few moments with me looking at this scripture and seeing what God is at work in teaching us today. But now, let's jump right into the uh, text of the scriptures. Um, and I'm not going to just like only look at James. I'm going to try to draw pieces from other parts of scripture as well to see how the whole of scripture works together to teach us about the nature of prayer. So I invite you, if you have a Bible with you, break that open. If you don't have a Bible with you, pull out your phone, look at a, a Bible app, or look on the internet, because uh, I'll be noting the references if you're curious and want to like look at it uh, with me. Um, so this passage, which we have just heard read for us, it touches on a theme, which we have already acknowledged, and that theme is prayer. It is a theme which I believe is essential to our life as Christians. And it is a prayer or a theme that I believe is also precious before God. God loves it when we come before him. He longs for us to pray. So let's consider this for a moment. Look at the, the Bible as a whole with me. And just pause with the text of scripture and think, what is one of the longest books in the Bible? Just think about it for a second. If you are thinking it is the Psalms, you're correct. It's actually the third largest book in your Bible. And I think there's a reason for that. And I think what God is saying is right there in the center of your Bible lies a precious compilation of prayers, which I have given to you to inspire you how to pray. The Holy Spirit is showing us what prayer can look like. And think about that. We have a book of scripture entirely dedicated to prayer. And in that text, God challenges us with a multitude of ways of praying. It's not just one type of prayer we find in the Psalms. Many of them praise God, but we also find words of supplication, frustration, fear, and even anger. And just a footnote here. Yeah, anger. In scripture, God says it is okay to be angry. What God wants us to do with that anger is learn how to channel it, where to take it. And so what God invites us to do is learn how to pray in the midst of that anger and hand it over to him. And if you don't believe me, just read Psalm 58. It's what is called one of the imprecatory psalms, where God in the Holy Spirit shows us how we can be angry before him, how we can just be like, God, I am really, really annoyed. Actually, more than annoyed. I won't use the word that, you know, isn't just popped into my head, but it's really angry. So what is God doing there and teaching us to pray like that, too? One theologian, Walter Brueggemann, says, 
that it is an act of profound faith to entrust one's most precious hatreds to God, knowing that they will be taken seriously by him. That's pretty powerful. And I think that's a really beautiful teaching. It's freeing. We don't have to be afraid of the anger that's in our hearts. We can turn it to God and know that God will do something precious with it. The thing is turning it to him. (laughs) That's what the invitation is to do. And so God teaches us how to pray. Whatever the circumstances are, our first invitation as a people of faith is to bear the whole of our lives before God in prayer. And that is not my own pious meditation. That comes right from the scriptures. For instance, see 1 Thessalonians 5.17. What does the Holy Spirit say through Paul's writing? He says, pray at all times. Some translators will render this, pray without ceasing. And in another place in scripture, we find the church being exhorted to pray in the spirit on every occasion. That's from Ephesians 6.18. So just from a few brief examples from scripture, we see that prayer is precious to God. God wants us to pray, and he just invites us into that, to come before him, bearing our hearts, bearing our passions, bearing whatever it is that's there. But I also want you to consider that this is not just a vertical movement. It's not just between us and God. Prayer also draws us into this horizontal dimension where in prayer, we are connected with our neighbor. We're connected with our brother and sister whether they're a believer or not a believer. The invitation is to lift others up and to be drawn into a life of prayer within the context of a community. And that ties right in with this series that we're doing right now with our sermons. We're examining those ties that bind us together. So, In prayer, we are being formed how to know God, how to love God. He teaches us and he works by his Holy Spirit to do that. And in being formed in that precious love, we're also being taught and trained by the presence of the Holy Spirit how to love one another. That is a fruit of prayer. And we will explore that a little further on in the sermon. But let us now return to the scripture reading for today and see what God is saying to us there about prayer. What does God teach us here? First, let's check out verse 13 together. What does James write? Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says, is anyone among you suffering? They should pray. Is anyone cheerful? They should sing praises. And I think there are a couple of things for us to pay attention to here. First, let's notice the dichotomy of situations noticed or noted here. What does James say? He says, whether we are suffering or whether we are cheerful, we are to pray. The first situation he puts before us is the situation of suffering. Is anyone among you suffering? Now, when James wrote this word, or wrote this, the word he uses for suffering is a broad one. It does not only mean physical suffering. 
The word here encompasses the whole range of the human experience of suffering. It entails physical, social, emotional, mental, spiritual suffering or distress. And that makes sense in the context into which James is writing. At the very beginning of the letter, James writes, or says he is writing this letter, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. That is, he is writing to the members of the church dispersed throughout the known world at this time. And he is writing to these churches that are experiencing a mix of persecutions as well as social and economic oppression and also tensions within the community itself as well that there is this infighting happening or this ignoring of the needs of others within the community. And so James is trying to address a wide range of issues here. And the first thing he says we need to do in the midst of that, and the first thing he tells those churches they need to do, is to pray. Now, he's not just telling us that we should just pray in situations of suffering and distress. We see that elsewhere in his letter. He talks about faith being put into action. But what he is saying is that prayer needs to be our first response. Because in prayer, we are coming before our God and asking God for the wisdom to enter into that situation, to enter into that suffering with God's grace and guidance. So when he addresses the problem of Christians honoring those who are wealthy within their churches, but dishonoring the poor who are also present in those same churches, James points out that this is not the way of God. This is not how Jesus has taught us to live. And when we come to know this by living in relationship with God by prayer, we see that God is going to form us into a new way of living. That is why James says we are to pray first. For as our Lord Jesus Christ himself taught us, we can see this in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure of their heart produces good. And what is that treasure? It is God's grace at work within our hearts, bringing us into relationship with him and making it possible for us to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, where we are made into people whose lives are animated by our loving relationship with our God and with one another. That is why prayer is so important in any type of suffering. It is not an escape. It is a cry out to God to help us and sustain us in the midst of our various sufferings. And it is also our reaching out to God, asking him to guide us to respond to those situations in a Christ-like and godly manner. So as we consider prayer in the midst of a variety of sufferings and distresses, I would encourage you to take a moment with me and think, what are those situations in your life where you may have a suffering, distress, or hardship? And how do you engage that? Do you pray in the midst of it? I hope so. When prayer or when hardship hits, pray. When hardship strikes another person, I encourage you to pray for them as well. 
Prayer is a beautiful expression of the bonds that unite us with each other and that we are responsible for each other, to love and care for one another. We pray because we know that God is good and he hears us. And I can tell you from my own personal experience that our God is good and faithful. He's a loving father who has his eye upon us at all times and desires us to come to him. He desires to strengthen you and me in the midst of every hardship that comes our way. And why? Because he is not stingy. Our God has an abundance of love and care for us, and he will hear our prayer. He loves us dearly, and he longs to pour his abundance upon us. And if you need proof of that, I just invite you to turn to the Gospels and read there what God did when he sent his son into this world on our behalf. God took flesh because of his love for us, and he went to the cross because of his love for us. That is how dearly God loves us. But let us continue on and see what else James has to say. What is the next thing he writes for us? Well, he points out that it is not only in suffering that we are to pray, but also in joys that we are to pray. So in verse 13, he continues on and writes, is anyone cheerful? They should sing praises. And what a powerful teaching this is. Why do I say it's powerful? Well, I don't know about you, but I can tell you just looking back over my own life as a Christian, that when things get rough or when I have found myself in times of suffering or distress, it's easy to pray. It just seems to flow naturally out of us when things get hard. We turn immediately to God because we know like there's this instinct in us. God cares about the suffering. But what happens when life is going well and everything's just falling into place for us? Well, just looking back over my own life as an example again, I have to admit that I've definitely had those times in my own life when everything felt great, everything was going smoothly, I had this abundance of joy, and what happened? I turned in on myself. I forgot to turn to God and praise him and thank him in those moments. And I think this is a common experience in our walk of life. I've heard this from a lot of people, you know, when things are easy, we just seem to fall into this like spiritual, you know, forgetfulness. And so in the midst of that, James is encouraging us. He's saying, don't forget that this is a gift that's coming from God as well. It's a gift, this joy, this cheer, it's a gift and a reprieve in the midst of the trials that come at us in this life. Well, because James saw this in the church at his time, he offers a reminder to the Christians he is writing to. He reminds them to remain in prayer, not only when things are tough, but when they are feeling cheerful. But notice also that James does not only say that we are to pray. What does he say? He says we are to sing songs of praise. And that seems extraordinary to me. 
Why does he give us this command to pray in this particular way by singing songs? I would suggest that the reason he tells us to pray by means of song is that James is trying to remind us of how overabundant the gratitude of our joyful prayer should be. James is in essence saying, are you joyful? Awesome, that's great. Now praise the one who has given the cause of this joy to you. Praise him in a way that shows forth the full strength of that joy. And it's a deeply biblical response as well. Let's turn again to the Psalms for just a moment. Look at Psalm 145 with me. I promise you, I won't read the whole Psalm. (laughs) But at the very beginning of it, James, or uh, the psalmist writes, I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Immediately, we are caught up in a great song of praise, and perhaps as you read it, you feel your heart lifted up with an overwhelming sense of the joyful gratitude that the psalmist is just throwing out there before the Lord. That is what James is talking about. That is what this like, joyful song of praise that explodes out from our heart in those moments of cheer is. But the Old Testament is not the only place where we can find examples of joyful prayer. Think of Paul's letters, for instance. Throughout them, he constantly breaks out into these hymns and prayers of thanksgiving. And there are too many of them. I can't quote all of them. But just for one example, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Notice how for James and Paul, the immediate reaction to cheer and good is to praise God, to turn our hearts immediately to the one from whom every good thing comes. So I hope that you find inspiration from the scriptures today to remember to pray at all times, both when you find yourself in difficulties and in trials, as well as when you find your life going smoothly, and your heart just overwhelmed with cheer. And I would also point out that a beautiful experience of turning to prayer and praise in times of joy is that you will find your joy increased all the more. We find that when we have sustained a practice of joyful praise and thanksgiving, we have a reserve that we can draw upon when the going gets tough. And this reminds me of this little section in the book of Nehemiah, when God's people are renewing the covenant and they start like getting down on themselves. They were like, God, we have failed you. We did not faithfully follow you. But in that moment, Nehemiah and the priests say to the people, remember the joy that you have in the Lord. The exact quote is, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So in those moments when things get tough and we are downcast, we can turn to that strength we've gotten from prayer in the past. And the Holy Spirit can shed his light once again into even the darkest recesses of our hearts. 
And this is not just for us. It is also meant to be shared with our brothers and sisters. A favorite Christian of mine is this uh, woman who survived uh, Nazi Germany. Her name was Corrie Ten Boom. And she was actively involved in resistance against the Nazis and was hiding uh, Jewish families away from them, trying to get them like smuggled out of the country, trying to make sure that they weren't being shipped off to the death camps. And after the war was over, she continued on in ministry in a number of ways. And one of the ministries she was involved in was in prison ministry. She would go and visit prisoners and bring the gospel into the prison and share the joy, the good news of the gospel with those people there. And she recalls a story of this one time she goes into a prison that is just dark and depressing. The prisoners all seem downcast. And this one time she's in a prison and they lined all the prisoners outside to hear her speak and it's raining and everyone's just miserable. And in the midst of that, she looked back over her own life of prayer and the hope and the joy she found in that prayer and she brought it to those prisoners. And she says in one of her books, where she recounts the story, I felt in my heart a great joy that, it, that imparted itself to the men who were sitting there in the pouring rain. Then I saw that the joy of the Holy Spirit can be experienced in all circumstances. And that example leads me to the next point that James makes in his letter. After essentially telling us in verse 13 that we need to pray in both the good and the bad times of our lives, he switches mode suddenly. Now, at first, it looks like he's just listing off another example of a situation where a prayer is needed and how to respond to that. He says, is anyone among you sick? Then they must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him. However, I would suggest that in spite of this looking like James is just continuing on with the same mode of teaching, giving an if-then example, he's still also doing something else here. And that is that if you, if you look at verses 14 through 16 with me, take a moment, look at those verses, see what you may notice there. If you're thinking, oh, isn't it interesting that the prayer is not just coming from the individual anymore? You are right. James is now drawing our attention to the communal nature of our prayer. He's pointing out how to pray is a necessary part of our life together. That we are tied together in relationship with and by our Lord Jesus Christ. We are being fashioned by the Holy Spirit into a new community. And part of the way this new community lives out our life together is to pray for one another. Notice how this plays out in verses 14 through 16. The sick one is to call on the elders who are to come and pray for the sick person. James reminds us here that we are not alone. When he points to the elders, he is reminding us that God has called people into ministry to walk alongside with us, that we have these people who minister among us, our pastors, our elders, our deacons, you know, who are there with us in the midst of our suffering, and we can call upon them. 
But he doesn't only talk about ministers. Look at verse 16 with me. What does James write there? He says that we are to confess our sins to one another and to pray for one another so that we may be healed. And now notice that we are no longer talking about ordained ministers. Here James is talking about what every Christian can and should do. He says, confess your sins to one another. Now, that can be a hard word to hear, isn't it? To think about confessing those deep, dark secrets in our heart to a fellow human being and to be vulnerable like that, that's hard. But the Holy Spirit gives us this word, and I think he gives it to us for a reason. I don't think it's like meant to be putting us in an embarrassing situation. No, rather it is so that we can support one another. And anyway, let's just be honest. All of us have sinned and do sin. So when James commands this or commends this practice to us, there's the assumption that the one hearing their brother or sister, bearing their soul before them, does so not in superiority, but in humility and in recognition that this is what each of us experiences. And notice to what follows after confessing your sins to one another. James writes to pray for one another. So in this community that God is forming us into, we hear each other out, listening to what is burdening each other, and then we pray for each other. We pray so that our brother or sister may be strengthened and renewed. We pray for one another out of love. As Jesus says in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 13, verse 35, by this will all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And one of the deepest, most beautiful, and most profound ways we can express love for one another is to pray for each other. We can see this in our Lord's own life. What was one of the last things that Jesus did before he went to the cross and offered his life so that you and I may be saved? What was it that he did right before that? He prayed. He prayed for his disciples and for all those who would be his own. He prayed for our sanctification. He prayed that we be one. He prayed that we be with him and that we may see his glory. You can find all of that in the 17th chapter of John's Gospel. And in doing this, we see just how deeply he loved us how deeply he loves you and me and every person who is called unto him. So our Lord himself shows us that prayer is one of the most profound ways we can care for and love one another in his own example of life. And then finally, in today's scripture, we find James encouraging us to pray by giving us an example of the power of prayer. He writes in verses 16 through 18 that the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being just like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven 
gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. Now, that last portion of verse 16 is, inter- is an interesting one, and it has been translated in a number of different ways over the time. Different scholars, different translators have done different things with how they have translated it. And the reason for that is because James is articulating a rich theology of prayer in really compact language. Um, I was trying to translate the text myself while I was doing some of the work in preparation for this uh, sermon, and it was a tough section of scripture to translate (laughs) because there is so much going on there. So I wanted to just spend a couple of moments looking at that with you all. First notice he points out that he is speaking of the prayer of the righteous. However, he is not speaking about someone who is spiritually elite. That's not what the point of this verse is. What he is talking about are all those who have been declared righteous by God and justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, as Paul writes in Romans 3.24. And that includes everyone who has been saved by God's gracious action. That is who James is talking to in this moment. Next, James says that the that the Christian's prayer is powerful and effective. What does that mean? (laughs) I would suggest that what James is reminding us of is the fact that our prayer has God who is at work in it. It's not us who's making the prayer powerful. It is God who is making the prayer powerful. Another way that this section of the text could be translated is prayer is very powerful when it is energized. And what James means by that is when it is energized by the Spirit of God. So in effect, James is saying that every Christian should have confidence that their prayers are powerful and effective precisely because our God is faithful and good and hears us and is already active as we are praying. In short, James is encouraging us to pray. He is reminding us that God is faithful from beginning to end. Just like Paul points out at Romans 8.26, this is not an exact quotation, I'm paraphrasing, he points out that the Holy Spirit is at work in us, guiding us in our prayer and empowering our prayer. And then finally, in verses 17 through 18, James gives us yet another word of encouragement. If, that, if what went before wasn't enough, he now shares the story of Elijah, who is in prayer and does this amazing thing of, like, affecting the weather. Kind of crazy stuff. It sounds like, really? But James is like, yeah. This is how powerfully God is at work in prayer. And you can find that story in the first book of Kings, chapters 17 through 18. James reminds us that Elijah was a human being just like us. Lest we think this is, you know, some superhuman ability. It's not. This is about what God is doing in prayer. So what James is trying to tell us is to trust God and pray. At the beginning of your bulletin, you will find a quote from Rowan Williams. It says this, Very near the heart of Christian prayer, is getting over the idea that God is somewhere a very long way off so that we have to shout really loudly to be heard. On the contrary, 
God has decided to be an intimate friend, and he has decided to make us part of his family, and we always pray on that basis. My friends, this is how rich God's love is for us. He draws so near to us that he is at work even in our prayers. And when we pray, we are in conversation with our God, who is not distant to us, but in fact rejoices to be in relationship with you and me. And he speaks with us, and he does answer prayer. He also draws us together as a community when we pray. In fact, prayer is an essential part of our life as God's people. For when we pray, we learn from God how much he loves us, and we learn his love for our brother and our sister when we pray as well. And that, in turn, should turn us in love to our brother and sister. And one important way in which we do this is by praying. So what does everything I have said so far mean for us? How can we put this into action? Well, I would suggest that it means that after reading and reflecting on this scripture today, that we begin by remembering just how precious prayer is to God. Remember that. Hold on to that. It's a gift. God wants us to remember how much he loves it when we're in communion with him in prayer. And so I hope that we grow more and more each day to love prayer and to seek it. Hopefully this encourages us to pray at home, to pray with our families, to pray with our friends, to pray alone, and to pray as a church community. And we can take advantage of all the many means of prayer that our own church gives us. And if you are new to the Christian faith, or you are here seeking God, but don't know quite what that looks like, I hope that you feel welcomed to join in this community as we are learning together what it means to pray. Because all of us in this room are learning. None of us is a you know, spiritual elite person. You know, we're all in this together. We're journeying together. And so I invite you, come learn with us. And we can learn from each other as well. And already here today, I just want to point out that what's happening right in this moment as we're in this room singing hymns of praise and hearing God's word and soon we'll be approaching the table, this whole worship service is prayer. It's a gift that we can just rejoice in having. That's something that the church gives us as a means of learning how to pray and that God gives us as well, because he calls us to do this in his scriptures. And then our church offers other opportunities to pray as well. There are the prayer meetings here in this church on Tuesday, and in West Philly on Wednesday. And there's also the morning and evening prayers, which our church uh, sends out by email. You just need to go and sign up for that on the website, where you can join in with prayer with fellow Christians. And you can do that alone and know that you're praying the same prayers that fellow Christians are praying around the world. And you can also do that with a group of people gathered together and say those evening or morning prayers together. 
It's a beautiful practice that goes back to the earliest days of Christianity and actually goes back to the Jewish people who would gather for morning and evening prayers as well. And finally, we have our small groups where you can get together with fellow Christians, study God's word, and pray together as well. So yes, we have so many ways to participate in this precious gift of prayer as a community drawn together by the work of the Holy Spirit. I hope that each of us finds some way to connect with the gift of prayer that God calls us into by his holy word today. For that is part of God's mission for us as his people, to be a people who prays. So now, just join me in prayer as I say a word of thanksgiving to our God for giving us his scriptures. Good Father, you are faithful and trustworthy and so precious. You reach out to us and invite us by your holy word to be a people who prays and to know that we can turn to you in every moment in this life, whether it be joy or sorrow. Father, thank you for inviting us to pray and to know you more deeply and for calling us into this community that prays. Good Lord, I thank you too for just helping us dive into these scriptures a little bit. Thank you for the gift of scripture so that we may know you through that word as well, and that in this word you also give us a whole beautiful book of prayer. Thank you. You are so good and you are so faithful. And let our hearts continually sing praises throughout every moment of our lives. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.